Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Repent. That's the word we hear being called out to us this day. Repent. John the Baptist is standing on the side of the Jordan River. He's looking out at the crowds surrounding him, and he's calling out loud enough for everyone to hear. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an urgency to his voice, a plea to his calling, and it makes you pay attention. But along with that plea is the condemnation for those who do not respond to his call, but instead only go through the motions of repenting, but not repenting of the sinful lives they've lived. Now, to be fair to those people, it's never fun or comfortable to be reminded of the sins we've committed, but hearing a general call to repentance is nothing new to us. We hear it each and every week as we prepare for confession and absolution at the beginning of the service. I call out to you to repent. Okay, easy for us to hear it and then know what to do next, to kneel and go through the motions of repenting, but not really taking the time to consider what God has to say about how we should repent of our sins. Surprisingly, the call to repent does not appear as frequently in the Bible as you might assume, especially in the Old Testament. The word repent only appears about 46 times in all of the Old Testament. And most of these tend to be directed at a specific individual, describing how that person repents, but not telling them to do so. Now, there are people who preach repentance in the Old Testament. A good example would be the prophet Ezekiel. He's one of those prophets who strongly urged the whole people of God to repent. And he would describe it in a variety of ways. In chapter 33 of his book, for example, he urges the people of God to turn back, to repent as being turning away from their sinful ways and turning back towards God. When he says to him, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Now this picture of repentance starts to give us depth to its meaning. It's not simply... You feel bad for having done something wrong, but it's something more. After all, a man or a woman might feel sorry for having done something simply because they were caught. They might be sorry for doing the wrong thing because now they have consequences for their actions. They might even be sorry because when it's all said and done, it wasn't as good or as fun as they thought it would be, as satisfying as they might have hoped, or as profitable as it appeared to do the sin in the first place. What Ezekiel is showing us here is repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you've done, because repentance implies that you're going to change things. True godly repentance is the sorrow which says, I have sinned against God, I've done what is evil, I am ashamed of what I have done, and I will not do it again. See, repentance goes beyond just feeling sorry. But it's actually turning away from the sinful behavior in the, that you had been doing. 
In fact, the word repent does mean a change of mind. We change our mind about the evil and the sin we've done and set our minds to do what is right. Another way to describe it is this. If you're going to repent, then you must also have contrition. That means that you have a genuine terror in your conscience that feels God's wrath against the sin you've committed and grieves you for having sinned in the first place. This is repentance. But this kind of repentance also doesn't happen all the time. We can see this kind of repentance take place in the half-hearted, I'm sorry, when something goes awry. We've all heard someone apologize for something they've done and known in our hearts they really didn't mean it. They said, I'm sorry, because it was the right thing to do. Or maybe they're a child and they were told, go apologize to your sibling. I'm sorry. There's no contrition that follows. They're saying the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So you see, genuine repentance doesn't just change your behavior, but it changes it for the right reason. John was witness to the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were behaving as if they were repentant. They'd come to hear him, possibly even be baptized by him. That wasn't enough. Because John knows that they're just going through the motions. They're doing the right things because it's what everybody around them is expecting them to do. The words of John the Baptist show us that motivation in their hearts. They come to John out of fear. Apparently, they understood the results of their behavior in the terms of divine justice because John says, who warned you to fear from the wrath that is to come? Those Pharisees and Sadducees came because they were afraid of what would happen to them one day in the future, not because they were truly repentant of what they had done. They were not sorry for the evil that they had committed. They were only afraid of the consequences. They were sorry that they had gotten caught, and so they wanted to cover all their bases. They wanted to sanitize their conscience and ensure that they would not have to suffer for what they'd done. But that, says John, is not what it means to repent. Now we, unlike John, cannot read the hearts of another person. So we would not be able to tell they had felt this way if John had not told us so. But the text tells us that the Holy Spirit revealed to John that the men had come to him to fraudulently acquire forgiveness. They weren't sorry for their actions. They were just trying to escape the coming response of God's judgment. They were worried God had caught them. Since repentance changes things inside and out, we cannot really repent only of the consequence of our sin. We're not sorry for the evil that we've done. We're not really repentant. Such sorrow and even a change in behavior might be outwardly effective and socially useful, but it's not spiritually helpful. There's no value in false repentance because it doesn't deal with the sin we committed in the first place. You see, sin is fleeing from all that is right and good. Unchecked and unrepentant sin has the power to drag you down. Even those who believe can be drug away by their sin from life and blessings in God, just as it did to those that John preached to so harshly. And so we enter the season of Advent, 
a season of repentance where we hear the call to turn back over and over again. It's time set aside for we, us to examine ourselves and see our sins for what they are, that they are real and they are deadly. It's a place for someone else in the role of God and that the sins in our lives take the place of God in our lives. By pursuing sin, we do so in the hope of pleasure, greed, pride, fear, ambition, or self-promotion. So, John says, repent. Look into yourselves and see the sin that is there. Even if you pretend it's not, see the sin and turn back from it. Don't hide your sin. Don't continue to live in your sin. Leave it behind. Change your heart and your mind to do what is right instead because you need to do this with your sins each and every day because repentance shows you that your sin really is evil and deadly and destructive. Repentance regrets the deed, the desire for the deed, and the sin that the deed had done as it separated you from your God. If one still appreciates or profits from the sin or its effects, then you're not really repenting. You're only becoming aware of the trouble it might cause you later. But in the midst of this call to repentance, we also hear this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John points us not just to our sins to call us to repentance, but he does so so he can point us to the Lamb of God who's entering into the world. Because John knows that Christ has come, and Jesus has come to deal with those sins you hold in your heart. He dies for those sins, not just because of the consequences that they bring, but because he seeks to give you life and reconciliation with the Father. He comes to be one of us, and so that he could die and be lifted on the cross so that he could bear the guilt and the consequence of our sin. He died for our sin so that our sin could be killed within us. Remember, sin is the rejection of God, the turning away from the life that God gives, ignoring God's will, thwarting God's plans, spitting in the face of God. Sin denies him who created you and rejects his love. God knew that on our own we would be trapped in that sin forever, powerless to do anything against it. So he sends his son to deal with it. He sends his son to enter into our sinful world so that the sinful world can be reconciled to him, so that the sinful world can be turned back toward God, so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit upon us so that we could love him and turn away from our sin and be brought back into his family. God wants us to love him in return, but knows our sin would never allow it. So he comes to change our hearts and our minds through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the waters of baptism given to you to transform you into being one who repents and believes in the Savior that has come. 
This is why repentance changes things, because repentance doesn't make us flee the danger, but it makes us sorry for our sin. It no longer allows us to reject God's love, but instead allows us to receive it. Repentance means we're not only sorry, but we are determined to put away that sinful nature and live in the light of God, to live in his love. To remember that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and that it is the love that he has for you that allows your heart to be repentant in the first place because on your own you would never know the need to repent. So Christ comes. He is God's word made flesh in our midst to be the call to repent and then be the grace and forgiveness that cleanses our heart following that repentance. So repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But John wants us to know today because he knows that his call to repentance changes things. It changes us inside and out and draws us ever closer to our Heavenly Father. The Advent call to repent is not the call to merely regret what we've done or something that happened in a way we didn't intend. But it is to recognize the horror of our sin, the depth of our depravity, so that we would continue to call out for the one who is coming to dwell with us. Advent prepares us to joyfully receive our Savior, the forgiveness he has won, and to live in the blessings he brings, the power that he has to respond to our call and forgive those sins we've done. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.